0: Hey, I'm Drea, and this is Unpopular Passion. Hello, and welcome back to Unpopular Passion. And I want to wish... Happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers and mother figures who may be listening today. And especially, happy Mother's Day to my mother, if you happen to be listening. Today is the second installment of my API Heritage Month celebration. And my guest today is of South Asian descent. And we do speak a little bit about how she feels her heritage has shaped her. Now, have you ever looked at where you are in your life and thought that this is not where I would have pictured myself, but then also realized that this is where you're meant to be? That was the case for my guest today. Vindy has taught and coached in a few different subjects, but she never would have thought that she would end up coaching people through divorce. A divorce coach was something that I had never even heard of before I met Vindy, but it makes sense. Divorce is a very common thing with very high rates. Why not have someone help guide you through that difficult process, especially when it's something that people try and avoid talking about altogether? Sometimes things just don't work out the way we would have wanted to. But that doesn't mean it's wrong. And that's definitely not something to be ashamed of. The path you ultimately end up on might even be better than the one that you had planned. So please welcome my guest today, Vindy Teja. So Vindy, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to do the podcast today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And so the first thing I wanted to ask you is what would you say your biggest passion in life is?
1: Yeah, I think I probably sound like a cheesy fast food commercial <laughs> when I say this, but it's like service with a smile. <laughs> and so what I mean by that, I think is that, you know, I want to do, like, what makes me passionate is when I can do something well, and, I, and mm-hmm. I'm and i happy doing it. Like, it's something that I'm good at. It's something that I want to do. And so I feel that when those two things are together, it's like service with a smile. Like, you're actually serving, you're doing something helpful, mm-hmm. but you're also getting a lot out of it, and that makes you joyful. So that's how I would describe
0: it. I like Yeah, I actually just recently heard quote and I hope I'm not saying it incorrectly your passion is for you your purpose is for others your passion becomes your purpose when you use it to serve others
1: oh I like that
0: so yeah your answer definitely reminds me of that quote kind of I mean people I feel like are so kind of fixated sometimes on like finding like what's my purpose in life or what am I passionate about and yeah, I feel like if you are lucky enough to find a space where those two things can intersect, then it ultimately helps being in service of others.
1: Right. Yeah. I, th- I like the way that you put that. And I just recently watched that movie, um, Soul, the, um, mm. the mm. animated yeah, film. Yeah, i seen that. Yeah, and, and they go into that it's pretty deep when they start exploring the topic of purpose and just, you know, and, and getting too caught up in it and feeling bad about yourself when you don't, you know, because we attach it to our self worth, and then it can just go down a deep, dark path.
0: Oh, yeah. And that was definitely um, a direction I did not see that movie like going in. Absolutely. And yeah, that, that was like a big thing I took away from it is like, don't be so fixated on like, trying to find what it is that you are meant to do and then you end up kind of just missing out on the life that's already happening around you.
1: That's right. Yeah, I thought about that. And I heard an interview with the, um, the, producer, or the producer and the writer, and they were talking about their own life experiences and how they fed into the movie. And it was pretty powerful. Like one of them had sort of a similar experience where he was in a hospital bed, and he didn't know if he was going to make it and kind of made him question oh, wow. everything. So it was pretty, it was, yeah, I thought it was really deep.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, that's, I need to look that up. <laughs> that sounds interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't, I never would have guessed. I think that's what, I don't even, I don't even think I watched, I didn't watch the movie. I watched it after I heard that interview because then I got really curious. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, I'm missing out. I need to watch this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So what is it that you have found that you are good at that you're using in service of others?
1: Well, what I have found and it's a great question because it kind of makes me go backwards and look at the threads in my life mm-hmm. and and how they're kind of tied together and right now what I'm doing is I am a divorce coach so I help yes. people who are you know navigating the process thinking about going through the process or getting to the end of it and designing a new life for themselves. But I never ever thought that that's where I was going to end up. But when I look Mm -hmm. at what I did have been doing, a lot of it is coaching and mentoring and teaching that thread seems to have been there all along. But it's like the client base was different. So at one Mm -hmm. point, it was law students. My background is in law, I went to law school, and I I, I was going to be a lawyer. And then I, I ended up becoming a legal career coach. And so I was working with people um, to get them sort of uh, on their feet and, and figure out a direction that they wanted to go in, and okay. then yeah, so that was really gratifying. And then at and then at another point, it switched, and I was going through a divorce, and I was getting I hired a personal trainer, and I went to the gym. Mm -hmm. because I was always an athlete, but I I could never really, I was kind of intimidated by the weight section about like how to use the equipment. And so I'm like, I think
0: (laughs) easy to be intimidated at the gym.
1: (laughs) So I hired a personal trainer. And then as she worked with me, I'm like, Oh, this is kind of what I used to do with the law students. Like I'm motivating them. I'm like instructing and it was very similar. So that motivated mm. me to get my personal trainer license. So I did that as a oh, student. Wow. Yeah. So I did that when my daughter was quite young and in preschool and cause I needed something part-time and I really enjoyed mm. that, but it was, it was kind of along those same lines of like, mentoring and, um, motivating and, and actually really teaching people so that they had a skill and that they felt more confident in themselves.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually, I was curious about that because I, I did see your Ted talk, which I love by the way. Well, and, um, yeah, I was curious if, I mean, you mentioned now and in that, that being a divorce coach was never something you really saw. And I was curious if like coaching in general was something that you did. So yeah, it sounds like you definitely kind of were on that path already, just changed the subjects of what you're teaching and what you're coaching.
1: Yeah, yeah. And they didn't even call it coaching back in the day. Like when I worked in career, um, they called it career development and career advising. They didn't call it coaching, but it's exactly the same thing. It just wasn't called that then. So I'm like, oh, it turns out this is what I've been doing all along. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, that was kind of a neat a neat process.
0: That's kind of interesting that you mentioned that because I feel like today I meet, I've been meeting so many people that do define themselves as a coach. And I wonder like where that transition happened that now it's like such a common thing to be referred to as that or to refer to themselves as that. And you say like, before it wasn't really something you heard or anyone called you.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nowadays, it's like, who isn't a coach? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because I actually was thinking that, yeah. And and I remember a friend who was taught, was frustrated with that, was saying, okay, well, this person is calling themselves, for instance, a business coach, but, yeah. you know, they've never run a business, they've never owned mm-hmm. a business, and yet they're doing this thing. And so I think like from a credibility perspective like it's, it's always wise to get some experience in what the in what you're doing like whether it's career yeah. coaching or whether it's like you know any anything um or like in my case like I didn't know there was such a thing as a divorce coach it's just that after I was done with mine a lot of people started coming to me for credible mm-hmm. support and information and then I was giving it out for free and so I thought oh I should I should yeah. go pro <laughs> oh yeah definitely
0: <laughs> If so you have that skill to utilize.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: So was that something, because yeah, I I had never heard of that either before I watched your TED Talk. Was that some, or is that something that a lot of other people are in the business in or is this kind of a niche thing that you're doing?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I didn't know it existed and then I think I found it because I thought, because I was informally doing it. And then I just was happened to be on the internet. And then I found this training that was based out in Florida. And then I did this course. And it was excellent. It was an excellent certification. And then as I got into that world, I started meeting other coaches, you know, many of whom are in the US, but there were people in Canada. And so but I don't think it's widely known. It's not Why? Yeah, because a lot of people when I meet them, and I tell them I I do what I do. They you know, they're a bit surprised. They either say, What is that? or they say, I wish I had met you when I was going through mine.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I so I was watching your TED talk and I was curious because you you work a lot of like comedic little things into there, which I mean I enjoyed a lot and it clearly the audience did as well. And is that like I'm wondering how was your preparation for that like is that just how you are in your everyday life or was this kind of something you were conscious of and you were like wanting to make it a little lighter and like wanting to make it kind of entertaining
1: yeah that's a that's a great question I mean I I joke that um like when people say oh you know uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And so yeah. I, I tend to say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and funnier. Because <laughs> if you can survive it, usually you have a sense of humor about it True. afterwards. So, yeah. so I think I had a sense of humor. Um, but I think it got better. But I think part of that whole process of the TED, you know, doing a TED Talk is you're taking an idea and you're wanting to share it. But part of it is you don't just want to give people information, you do want to engage them. And you want mm-hmm to entertain them. And because I was talking about prenups, and it's like a legal document, like I was worried that instead of an idea we're spreading, it was going to be like a sleep aid worth dispensing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so so I worked really hard to make sure that the humor, that, that I injected humor into it, because I felt like, okay, this is a serious subject. And sometimes it makes people uncomfortable. So just yeah. name the elephant in the room and say, yeah, these, it's not sexy. So then I do this whole piece of <laughs> why it's not sexy. And I think that that was fun, because, you know, it puts people at ease. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, it definitely read well with the audience, you could tell it was a good uh, reception of the humor in it. And so how did that opportunity come to you to do that?
1: Oh, you know, it wasn't even consciously on my radar, Mm -hmm. I think, because, you know, I was, I was busy in that world. And then um, I went to an information session that a friend had invited me to. And then when I went and they started talking about the whole TED Talk process, I just kind of came alive. And I thought, Oh, this is, this might be a really neat opportunity. And, you know, there was fear there, yeah. About applying because I thought, oh, this is scary. And then I, I, I worked really hard on the application, and then I got an audition, and then I totally freaked out. I thought, oh, <laughs> this is just getting real.
0: Yeah. So,
1: so then I went to the audition, and then when I got chosen, I thought, okay, there's no way I can turn back from this. I've said yes now, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it kind of it takes up your life because you get really committed to it. Um, and the team that I worked with, they worked really hard. So I found like that was just you know, like they were all volunteers and they were, you know, oh. donating their time. It was quite incredible. And then I was asked to join the team afterwards. And now I'm part of the organization as well. And so I, oh, wow. yeah, really so cool. just, which is why it's neat because, you know, the topic of your podcast is, is passion, but here I, I went into something unconsciously and then it opened up all these other doors, but mm-hmm. it was sort of along the lines of stuff I already love to do. Cause I love ideas. Yeah. I love reading I love like debating and so it was right up my alley and now I'm part of this community and they can't get rid of me now because I <laughs> keep coming
0: back. That's so great. So so what is it you do now like with that team?
1: Well the first year so I did my talk in 2019 so then the following year I was on the curation and selection team so um I helped to Find potential speakers. And then I was on the audition panel. So I'm the one who decided whether, helped decide whether they would get chosen. And then this past (laughs) year. It was, but you know, a lot of pressure too, because you know, everybody wants it really Mm -hmm. badly. And so you you, want to be very careful. And then this year, it was all online. It was really they they did a very good job. And I was a coach. So I got to work one on one with two speakers, as well as the whole team of speakers. So I got to be a coach, um, which was really cool.
0: (laughs) Continue teaching other subjects. That's great.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you learn a lot. I mean, I had a climate scientist and an internal medicine doctor as my speaker. So it was just neat because those are not my worlds. And yet we worked really well together.
0: Oh, that's so cool. You get to absorb all this other information from the speakers, which I didn't even think about. And that's kind of funny because the same thing happened with me and this podcast is like just speaking with so many people and so many different experiences like I didn't even realize myself how much information that I would be taking in from all these people that I get to meet and speak to.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's such an opportunity. And I think it takes a lot of guts to just go out there and start doing that. So I applaud you for just going for it. (laughs) Thank
0: you, I appreciate (laughs) that. (laughs) Yeah, it was definitely something I had to tell myself to not overthink and just jump in.
1: (laughs) I think, you know, and I don't know if you're an overthinker by nature, but I am a total... I sometimes think in flowcharts, right? Like, I don't know if this was like because of law school or mm-hmm. just because I'm wired this way, but I would always think, you know, I, I'm very linear and I think in like these flowcharts. And so to be able to just let go and go for something, I've kind of had to train myself a little bit to do that. And mm-hmm. then as I've done it more and more, it becomes easier because you know, as you as your experiences kind of grow, you're not as afraid. You're like, oh, yeah, I've, I've done something like that before. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: No, yeah, I'm definitely an overthinker. I overthink everything. Um, but that's really interesting that you describe it the way you think in flowcharts. Mine's definitely not organized. It's just <laughs> random yeah. thoughts flying everywhere. But yeah, like you said, you kind of have to just keep getting that experience or keep jumping into things to get more comfortable doing it.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think I mean, it's like a podcast. I remember when I mean, I don't have a podcast, but I've done podcast interviews and I've spoken um, and but I sort of had a similar experience when I was writing my book Mm -hmm. that I'm like, oh, okay, I'm doing this. And then I kind of went along and it sat on the shelf for a while um, after I finished it because the, the target audience changed. And then I don't know, I kind of got fearful. I'm like, oh, is this book really even worth putting out there? Like, mm. oh, is anybody gonna read this? And so I started talking myself out of it. Yeah. And then I think and and that's easy to do. And I, I, I found that after I did the TED talk, I was like, oh no now I'm motivated to finish so I ended up finishing writing and editing and I published you know the book and you know it's gone on to do really well it just won an award last week two of them actually last oh, congratulations. week
0: congratulations
1: yeah thank you it was super cool um so that just kind of became more motivating I thought okay I'm so glad I didn't say no <laughs>
0: yeah is this the book forgive me if I get the time I know it begins with YOLO is that the t- the book you're speaking yeah. of
1: yeah, it's uh, it's YOLO, and the subtitle is "Essential Life Hacks for Happiness."
0: Mm-hmm. I love that title. And I, there was actually, I believe there was a little part, an excerpt from that book that I loved. Um, yes. So you said I've read somewhere that an optimist is someone who figures that taking a step backward after taking a step forward is not a disaster. It's more like a cha-cha. Yeah. <laughs> I love that part and I feel like I mean we keep hearing over and over again everywhere that you know failure is inevitable and you have to fail to succeed failures for part of the process and this way of saying it is just so much more fun and like refreshing to hear it that way and it's like taking a step back doesn't end your world it's not over you can yeah. keep going
1: Absolutely. And I remember, I think I read that quote, I didn't come up with that one on my own, but I certainly saved it. And I think it was on Instagram that I mm-hmm. saw it. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, so on point. Yeah, and I um, loved it. yeah, it was just a fun way of looking at it, because we do we take ourselves so seriously. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's okay to be serious. And it's okay to make mistakes as long as you learn from them yeah like if you're making the same one over and over again you're like that's not the cha-cha that's just like walking backwards <laughs> yeah
0: eventually <laughs> if you make the same mistake over and over again you kind of have to own that you're just making this mistake exactly yeah <laughs> so was it was it like kind of the feedback and the reception you got from the ted talk that motivated you to finish the book
1: I don't know if it was, it's like, it's almost like a chicken egg scenario. I don't Mm. know what came first. I think that um, because I did the TED TED talk and I, I felt so confident afterwards and I felt like sort of like, I don't know, just really energized. I thought, and then I thought, what next? How am I going to use this? Because I also wanted, you know, it was great to do it, but I also wanted to use, use the TED talk in my business and in my life. And so I thought, okay, this is a good point at which to do the book because Mm -hmm. you have it, it's there. And then once it's out there, the, the two work very well together. And so for instance, um, like each year, the, the, the TEDx, um, event has like a library so any past speakers feature their books and they can sell them there and so again it just gives you an opportunity to interact with people who are interested in your message Mm -hmm. so um so for me it's like a win-win there yeah and um Yeah,
0: yeah that's really cool and so does the book kind of deal with divorce as well or is it more just like overall life things and life tips and hacks
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Because and that was part of the reason it sat on the shelf, I'll tell you. And so this is a little bit of a um, a confession (laughs) that I'm making. (laughs) So it sat on the shelf. And I thought, okay, well, it's not directly linked with what I'm doing now, because I was doing divorce coaching, I was doing life coaching as well. But I was I was doing a lot of divorce coaching. So I thought, okay, here's a general self-growth book, you know, is this gonna help me? But it was something that book was born out of what had I had been through. And so, you know, I had gone through a very difficult divorce and then I had a health scare and I was a mom Mm -hmm. with a preteen. And I thought, and literally I thought, okay, I don't want her getting advice from like a Ouija board. (laughs) I want her to have my advice. And so I thought I better write down some of these important lessons, and because I was in the field. And so that was kind of the motivator. And so I wrote it as a result of my experience and having learned so much and read so much. And, you know, I took my previous training and my. Coaching experience, and I put them all together. So even though it's not a book on divorce per se, mm-hmm. I use it with my clients all the time because yeah. part of it is the emotional and just the focus and how to work through your fears because you have those in divorce, but you have those in life as well. Yeah. So yeah, so I find that is actually really helpful for and and my teen read it and she took all sorts of crazy notes in it. So I know that it's like it's it's got like wide um, appeal for different age groups. Mm-hmm. that's kind of cool that was a a cool bonus out of it
0: yeah I could see I mean because obviously yes at a young age there's always like those life lessons you can take from people wiser than you but I feel like as we get older we if we're not we should be more open to the fact that we still don't know everything and we could learn more as we go
1: yeah I know yeah that's good you don't just all of a sudden arrive and then you're done
0: yeah exactly (laughs) I mean I feel like we never really stop evolving as people.
1: Absolutely. And I think you are a different person too. Like, you know, you're who you are today versus who you will be even next year like when i look back 5 10 years even 2 years ago even pre ted talk and after i'm i'm different like the way that i approach challenges is different even the way that the people i've met like the colleagues i met there like they they're people i think i otherwise wouldn't have met mm-hmm. and and now i'm friends with some of them so that's like oh okay so they've changed me as well so
0: yeah oh yeah definitely i've i've seen that in myself as well with not only becoming more open with people and like to meeting new people, which like, like this podcast has definitely helped with, but also just seeing how I change has changed the people I surround myself with.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's good. I really like that. Yeah. And, Yeah. And it's, I'm sure, was it for you? Was it subtle? Or was it like, did you, did you notice the shift happening? Or did you take stock of it one day? And you're like, wow, okay, this is...
0: It was a little bit of a mix of both. Because there, there wasn't really too many people in my life I felt like didn't need to be anymore. There was, you know, a few here and there. But I saw a very subtle, slow change in more independent and more inspiring people starting to make their way into my life. And Being surrounded by people like that definitely makes you more conscious of what you're doing in your life and kind of, I don't want to say like feeling like what you're doing isn't good enough, but like seeing the people around you doing so well inspires you to want better for yourself.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that's very well put. And I think it's like the potential. I think when you are around others who are striving or working for what they really love or believe in, it's not only inspiring, but it's just like you see the potential. You're like, okay, they've done it. Yeah, I've talked to them. I've had a conversation about it. It's possible. Whereas if you didn't know them, it'd be like, oh, they're just making it look good on TV. You know, It's probably a lot harder than that. But it's it's neat when you've had that direct
0: exposure to a person. Yeah, definitely. And so I'm I'm wondering on this topic, now going into like this field of divorce coaching, what type of people do you find yourself surrounded by?
1: Oh, what type of people? Because
0: I, s- I feel like me. it almost could be just kind of a negative space to be in just because of like the subject matter. But at the same time, you are helping people. So like it could go either way.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really um, insightful question because that's something that I grappled with myself Mm -hmm. because when I decided to call myself a divorce coach and I remember my brother joking with me, he's like, divorce coach you really want to call yourself that if you go to a party and you you get introduced to somebody, they're going to keep you away from their husband or wife.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like, oh, don't put the idea in their head.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he's like, you want to come up with a different name? And I'm like, well, that's kind of what I do. And that is what the certification is. But then, like, my answer to that usually is, um, like, you know, when I introduce myself as a divorce coach, and people say, "Oh, so do you encourage? You know, do you help people, or you you convince them to to get divorced?" And oh, I'm like, no. <laughs> uh, "No more than a doctor or nurse would counsel their patients to get sick." Yeah. I go, "But th- thank goodness we have them,
0: mm-hmm.
1: qualified people." If you are going through that process, yeah. um, to help you, right? And so that's kind of the analogy I use. But uh, going to your question, I think that you have to be careful about how you protect your space. Yeah. So definitely. Cause it is, it can be heavy work. And I, I feel the same way about like say counselors, cause they have mm-hmm. to listen to people and it can be, if they don't do the proper self care or take the time for themselves, it's kind of easy to get sucked into, I think a vortex of that's all you see. Cause you just see bad behavior. You see, you know, people doing things, you know, to their ex partners and it just becomes very negative. Yeah. So I'm very careful about that in terms of how much, like I, you know, I do writing and I do the speaking, and so I kind of feel like I have a good mix where I'm not doing the same thing all the time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, which is good for me because I do like the variety mm-hmm. um, of doing other things. And you know, I have like say, book, um, for instance, I've I'm helping two clients just through their book, so like they're writing their book, so I'm doing book coaching, so it doesn't have anything to do with divorce. But they initially came to see me because they were going through separations, oh, but it just that's shifted. Yeah. So I think that's kind of neat when you can do different things Mm -hmm. is that you can pivot depending on what the client wants or needs.
0: Okay. That's cool. I, yeah. I mean, you, you definitely are seeing both sides then the negative and the positive, but you, I like that you have found ways for yourself to deal with the negativity of it.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think the sense of humor also Mm -hmm. helps. And I think it helps with clients too, because I remember hearing a talk all about the 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 power of humor to release like um like you know when you don't feel like you have any power sometimes all you can do is laugh at the situation when you can't do anything about yeah. it right <laughs> yeah. and it kind of it kind of is empowering you're taking back something just by doing that and I think sometimes in divorce like I I remember going to the hair salon. And I always used to be the woman who would listen to the other people's stories. Yes. Yeah. And then one day I come and then my, my, my guy says, Oh, so what's new? And I'm like, Uh, let me tell you about what's new. And so all of a sudden, I was the one with like this wacky story. And I thought, Oh, my gosh, I've become that person. You know, I always used to listen yeah. to people's stories. So I just had a sense of humor about it. And that kind of helped just I do know, deal with it.
0: Yeah, I could see that for sure. And yeah, sometimes like, you you can't control everything. You just got to let it go and just see the humor in it.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: I wonder, I feel like, so I don't know any of the statistics on it and I'm wondering if you do, but I feel like there's a very high divorce rate right now or at least like Ooh. within the last few generations. Yeah,
1: yeah. It has gone up for sure. And I mean, the last time I... Checked formally was a little while ago. A while ago, because in Canada the divorce rate is over forty oh, percent. Wow. In the U.S. it's higher, um, and then the rate for me. second and yeah, the re- the rate for second and third marriages is even higher. Like r- higher rates of divorce for subsequent marriages. So, you know, it is a reality. Like the chances are either. You know, someone will go through it or someone you know will go through mm-hmm. it. So either you're going to be helping somebody or you're going to need the help. Yeah. Um, so I think that, yeah. And I don't think that that makes it easier though. Mm-hmm. Like just because it's more common doesn't make it easier. It's still a very life altering event, especially if it's traumatic or if you have children and, you know, because there's just so much change, it's like a fire hose going off at once like you know you got legal changes financial changes you got like parenting stuff so it's just a lot happening so it is really it is stressful but there's ways that you can manage the stress and you know that's the important part of I think at least the divorce coaching Mm -hmm. process
0: I didn't even think about like second and third divorces and things but yeah that's definitely I could see that being a reality also and I wonder do you see any type of pattern maybe as like what would your opinion be on like why the divorce rate is so high being that you're like so closely involved in this subject
1: yeah that's a good question I mean I see a lot of I I I sometimes will say that like divorces are like ice cream flavors there's like so many different kinds like no two divorces are alike but there are a lot of similarities I mean there's the you know the things like, you know, betrayal, and, mm-hmm. and that and I'm not talking just about infidelity, I'm talking about financial betrayal, like yeah. they call it financial infidelity, and how that's on the rise. And that's, you know, significant reason for breakups. Oh. And um, yeah, like just not being financially honest, yeah. with yeah, partner. And um, that's one reason. And, and I think another is, you know, people have options, whereas I think before there was a lot more pressure, to stay together for religious reasons or community or cultural reasons. Um, And now I I remember when I was going through mine and I had never pictured myself as a separated person. And, and I remember my daughter's preschool, there was no other, there were no other parents that were like separated or divorced. And I was like, you know, so I felt like very, lonely yeah I thought oh this is like it's and and I never pictured myself in that situation so it was even more I was even more Mm self-conscious as a result and so I really had to grapple with that and and but now I think it's changed and I I I know more people who are and it's not as stigmatized
0: yeah I was gonna Um, say I feel like there's definitely kind of like almost a societal shame around it I don't know if societal is a word but I feel like I made that yeah no okay yeah, I feel like I there's a bit of like a societal shame around it and people like if it is something they're going through, they either don't want to talk, like admit that they're going through it or they purposely kind of put it off because they don't want to be part of that like group of people.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and and that does happen and you do see it. And sometimes the, the negative, the really negative side of that is that they would then won't sometimes seek the help that they need Mm -hmm. and it's a shame that they'll carry in private and then it could get dysfunctional in terms of like, you know, abusing substances to cope or, or doing other things to cope when, you know, really, if you were to reach out, you're not alone. It's not that there's no shame in asking for help. And I think that it's good that it's not as stigmatized because people are more likely then to seek out the help or at least tell loved ones that, okay, this is what I'm going through.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, But then I think also part of it, at least just in my opinion, I've never been married or been through a divorce, but it just, it seems like also the fact that it is such a rigorous process, that could, that's like another reason I feel like people just want to put it off and just not even deal with it.
1: Yep. And, and, and that was, you know, that was one of the motivators for me when I did my TED Talk, because I, I didn't, I didn't come at it from the angle of divorce, I actually came at it from a completely different angle, which was the planning part, the prenup part, like why you know, and the value of something like that, because, you know, something that we stigmatize is it can actually be very valuable to you as you plan so that you don't go through as much stress if it does, you know, end up, um, if you don't end up staying together. So that was, yeah, that was a huge motivation for me just based on my own situation and, and how I would have done things differently. And so, yeah, I think that, um, I think because there's so it's so overwhelming it's a good reason to postpone it. And, and for people to just like, ah, I'll just put this off for a little while. Yeah, exactly.
0: And I really, I really liked the way that you put a prenup into words, you said it was like, relationship insurance, it's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it, which I, I loved that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, What you know, what was great also, um, Dre, about that process was that, our team of coaches, they were from all different areas. So I remember one of the coaches, he was an insurance agent.
0: Oh, okay. And so
1: when we were doing our practice and we were playing around with wording, he was like, you know, throwing a few things out from the insurance industry. I'm like, oh, yeah, that works. <laughs> yeah. And so then I worked it into the talk. So it was, yeah, it was a really collaborative process that way. It was neat.
0: And I've always been curious because I really love TED Talks, too. Do you have to memorize the whole thing before you go on to stage?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, no you like to...
0: no notes, no <laughs> prompters or anything. Oh wow. <laughs> no
1: notes. they call it internalize the talk as opposed to memorize mm. you. know it so well that you, it oh, okay. kind of comes out of you. And I mean, I think there are prompt, um, I'm trying to think back when when I did mine, there was one speaker who I think had forgotten a line, and then they gave her her. Her line, and then did okay. um, so they kind of like ma- feed
0: it to her off stage? Or- yeah,
1: and okay. then I think when they did the final edits, um, that may have been edited out. Um, okay. But I know that, that we were all told, yeah, you, you have to know it. And and there was a it was almost like a marathon training schedule for how to <laughs> approach it about, OK, this is week whatever. This is what you do. You break it up into sections and then you practice it and then you record it. And then you you um, then you're able to jump around from the introduction to the end without skipping a beat. So they gave you strategies for how oh, to do that's it. That's cool. Yeah, it was really, it was, it was very educational in that way. And then, I mean, we see it on TV and we're like, wow, they look so polished. They look so natural. Yeah. It's like, and
0: they just look at ease and like everything's yeah. just flowing. Yeah. It's
1: a lot of work to get there. I remember when I did my like rehearsal, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get this. Like how, mm-hmm. like it was, it was kind of night and day from where I started to where I ended up. But you know, when you put in the work, you get there. So it was, yeah, it was very gratifying.
0: I know as a viewer, that's definitely something I never thought about, like the whole process of going through it. And but I mean, I'm sure that it helps that anyone who is talking is very passionate about the subject they're speaking on. And I feel like that helps and it definitely shines through when you see them speaking about it. And yeah, that has to help you want to convey your message to people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, Dre, you really hit on something because they, they even look for that strongly during the selection process like how Mm. passionate are you about this or yeah and what makes you an expert and what makes you you know credible and so they really grill you on on those kinds of things and I think for good reason because you don't want to be getting up there just you know because it's an opportunity they Mm -hmm. they want to screen out people like that hopefully and and they want people who are like you know it, it means something to them.
0: That's good I mean yeah you can definitely tell at least from the ones I've seen and I don't think I've ever seen one that someone like kind of looked disconnected from their topic. So, I mean, the selection process must be a good process. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Thanks. Um, I don't know if this is too personal of a question, but I'm curious, being in this field, has it kind of changed the way you look at love and relationships at all?
1: <laughs> I knew this question was going <laughs> to come. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. You know, um, the short answer is yes, Mm -hmm. I do definitely think it's impacted my views, but not necessarily negatively. I think, I think I just had a narrow vision before of sort of relationships, and maybe the way it was supposed to look, and the way it was supposed to flow. And from not only my own experience and those of the people I know but through this work you see wow there is such a range Mm -hmm. of um, not only conflicts but even in relationships how they're set up and and what's normal in one relationship is not normal in another I mean basic things like respect and dignity and those kinds of things like Mm you that's what you hope for in all relationships and 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 that's you know and the communication and i think that those are valuable things to strive but that goes for any relationship whether it's you know with your kids or whether it's with your partner or with your friends and mm-hmm. so i think it's taught me a lot about communication and respect and also um like boundaries like setting boundaries and observe and and observing them but also respecting other people's boundaries and i think that sometimes when you're in a marriage for a long time, you might have, you may have gotten together when you're really young and the dynamic may have been like, you know, it may have been your first relationship and then yeah. that became normal. And you didn't even realize that there's these other ways of communicating and these other options out there. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of eye-opening for a lot of people after their divorce because they're like, oh my gosh, the world has changed. Yeah. Or also, <laughs> when they like, start dating. I wish I would
0: have seen this earlier. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm because we live in our own little silos and even especially if you're say in a certain cultural um sort of box as well and you don't yeah. have as much exposure outside of that that to you is what's normal and expected and so you don't even think about anything else and you know that can you know sometimes that can be really like um disarming when you when you Like you can be bitter about it for a while and you're like, oh, did I really miss out? And I think that's part of the and that's part of the work I do is is helping people to see opportunities in the change as opposed to staying in the anger and the bitterness because Mm. it doesn't, you know, it doesn't help you with the like what you want to get out of life. And even uh, even as a parent or a Mm co-parent, it doesn't help you to have that because then it just affects your children. Oh, yeah. How you communicate because they can Mm -hmm. they can feel it even if they don't hear it, they can feel it.
0: I, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. You can feel that energy around. You can feel the tension. Yeah. And I, I don't know, I guess I'm ever since I was young, I feel like marriage is something that has never been appealing to me. And it was never something that I saw as like something to aspire to have or like a goal to check off. And it seems like that is so common for people to think of it that way. And I guess I've kind of formed this hypothesis, or is that, yes, that I've yeah, formed yeah. this theory of my own that a lot of yeah. people end up in unhappy marriages because they're so afraid, A, to be alone, and B, this is something that they've always been taught or they've seen by influences around them that I should have this, I should want this, I should want to be in this yeah
1: yeah i think you're right and Mm -hmm. i think that there's so much conditioning
0: yeah like
1: we're conditioned to think and i know that for me it was an expectation it's like okay you do this you go to school you get married you have kids and and it's probably something i never questioned Mm um i thought i wanted all these things but you know if i did it all over again i don't know i don't know what i maybe i would have focused on something different if that pressure hadn't been there Mm -hmm. um so i do think that there's more options now but yeah a lot of people Either conditioning and sometimes people are just unconscious and they just go through the steps without really thinking about they're like, oh, this is what comes next. And Mm -hmm. so they really don't pause because you I think it sounds like you've been conscious about, oh, okay, well, I don't see then if if it's necessary. And so (laughs) you kind of questioned it for yourself. And and I I see my daughter doing the same thing, and she's, Mm -hmm. you know, she'll be graduating from high school soon. And she and we talk about these kinds of things, and and she says sort of things similar to you that well I don't know if that's what I want yeah sure yet but I don't think it's necessary and just for her to have that realization I think that's quite empowering
0: I agree I think that's a really healthy like kind of even just discussion or thought process to have with yourself of like whether it is right for you or not instead of just thinking like okay well that's just the natural next step that I need to do
1: Mm mm-hmm mm-hmm and also, what are the other ways that maybe you can fulfill those things? Like if, if, if you're wanting to be like a man, like if you're wanting to have kids, or, or you like being around young people, well, there's so many things that you could do for young people, you can be a great aunt, you can be a great yeah. uncle, you can volunteer, you can coach, you know, a team, there's just so many ways of giving back and having that influence and you know, I had always pictured myself with a few kids, and I ended up having one because Mm -hmm. I didn't end up remarrying. But you know, I have these great nieces and nephews and and my friends kids that I love being around. And I love being an influence in their life. So I feel like I have been able to fulfill that goal of having that influence. So I don't sit around thinking, Oh, my gosh, I only had one child, I didn't have three. So I don't, (laughs) you know, but I could have like, because, you know, if if you go down that road, you'd like, Think about what you're missing as opposed to all the stuff that you've gained.
0: Oh, yeah, you can definitely I think that's a something a lot of us can get wrapped up in. As opposed to looking at what you have and what you have experience, you could look at, oh, well, did I miss out on something or did I make the right decision in this or that process?
1: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah, it can be so self defeating. Mm-hmm. When you do that, like sometimes, like you love being inspired by other people, you're like, Oh, maybe I should think about doing that. But do I have the time? Do I have the money? Do I have the resources? And then regret can, can slowly seep in yeah. to that process. But you kind of almost have to give yourself a break and say, Okay, well, I can't do everything this week, or this year. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's just pace ourselves and say, Okay, maybe. hmm.
0: So I I mentioned to you that this month, I decided I wanted to celebrate the Asian and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And you mentioned to me that your heritage is something that you feel has really shaped your experience in your life.
1: Yeah, I mean, I grew up, so my parents immigrated from India Mm -hmm. uh, to Canada in the 1960s. And so um, one of my brothers was born here. And one of my brothers was born in India, but was quite young when he came here. So, you know, I grew up sort of in two cultures, Mm -hmm. right? So I still had a lot of Indian influence. And I also had a lot of Western influence. So I feel like a lot of my values are for the lack of a better word, a marriage of the two. <laughs> uh, so so I feel um, like even in my own parenting, even the clients I have, for instance, like some of them will seek me out because I have this background because they realize that I have an understanding of the cultural context, yeah. like maybe they might be living in an extended family situation Mm -hmm. with their in-laws, which is more common in Eastern cultures. And, and so they'll connect with me because they're like, okay, she gets that. So I don't have to explain that. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like the fact that I was exposed to that and know what it's about and have respect for it and also understand some of the difficulties behind it, it makes me more credible and it makes me more helpful. So I think in my work, it's definitely, um, impacted me, um, And also in my personal life, I think I feel, I feel I am able to critically evaluate things better because I just don't take things for granted. Like, oh, this is the way, because I know that I've learned something else at home. So it kind of makes me question sort of the status quo. Sometimes I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, maybe it could look different. Um, Do we have to follow this model? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's made me a lot more open-minded.
0: I like that. Yeah. You can definitely, I think already growing up with like two different perspectives can make it so you walk into a situation more open-minded, more open to seeing things than just the way you know them because you know them in multiple ways.
1: Yeah, yeah. And an interesting analogy there also is the divorced family because the child might be growing up in two separate homes. Mm. They sometimes get a richness of experience of the two families apart, because yeah. they're literally two different families. So they can often be more open minded, more critical thinking, because they've had to be so adaptable, because the rules in both homes might be quite different. Mm. So they become more comfortable with like the change and the variety, which I thought I didn't see that yeah. coming. But I have noticed that in my own daughters and, and with my clients kids. So oh,
0: wow, that's great. Because yeah, I definitely I feel like Just like it from an outsider's perspective, would have seen it as almost more difficult or like causing more rebellion, kind of like having more rules and things to follow. But that is a that's an amazing positive way to look at it is being able to take in more perspectives and learn things in different ways. So I I like that a lot. Definitely something for. Parents to keep in mind if they're going through that. Yeah, there's a positive in yeah, every situation. Yeah, yeah, there
1: can be a silver lining, and depending on that will that sometimes will help them motivate to, to keep that in their vision that that's what they want for their yeah. child. Because I don't think it necessarily automatically happens, but I think if if you hold that as an intention, mm-hmm. it can be a positive. And so you could say to your kids like, "Oh, so what do you think about that? Does that make sense?" And it just makes them you know, just question things a bit more like, Oh, we do it over there like this, mm-hmm. but I like it this way. But then they figure out why they like something better. And then they, they kind of look into it themselves. So I, I think it, it can be a really neat um, process for kids that are growing and, and, and thinking about, they call I think they call it is it metacognition, where they can kind of see the way that they're thinking, mm. like they can kind of be on the outside and view th- themselves from a different Like up here, almost like an objective bystander.
0: Which is an amazing skill to have. And I feel like a lot of people would benefit from having.
1: Yeah. I wish I had it at like fifteen. Yeah. (laughs) Of course
0: though. (laughs) At that age, do we do any of us really think of anything in a critical way?
1: (laughs) I know. I know. It's so true.
0: And yeah, I completely relate to what you're saying too about how you had clients who sought you out because you had that cultural knowledge. I know like I was actually having a conversation with two people the other day, just about having to explain things in your culture to other people who don't understand it and how sometimes that can make, no matter what the relationship is, whether it's like friendships, partners, professional, like sometimes having to explain that and someone not understanding it can make it harder for them to understand where you're coming from.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a basis of a lot of misunderstanding conflict, Mm -hmm. just, and even just comfort level. Like sometimes you just want to be around people who understand Mm -hmm. it and get you without you having to spend all this energy explaining it. Like, I mean, I'm a big fan of diversity and I have friends that are, you know, all different cultures and backgrounds and, and and I enjoy Mm -hmm. that. But I think sometimes there is some comfort in, you know, being able to crack a joke and then they just <laughs> yeah. get it because you don't have to say, oh, why are you? Th- why did you say that? What, what do you mean? You don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's. Not-
0: yeah, I mean, obviously, yes, diversity is very important. Um, diversity, inclusivity. But at the same time, you definitely always have that. It's nice to have that community around you to feel that comfort, to feel that understanding.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: And you. so you see a good amount of your clients coming from the same culture as you because they feel that comfort and that support from you? Yeah,
1: I think. And then also going to your point earlier, how you said that, you know, sometimes people, they feel shame mm-hmm. that they don't want to, to, to share it. And so I think sometimes people are very selective about who they share it oh, with yeah. and they want to share it with, mm-hmm. right? People that they think it's safe with who kind of get their struggle a bit better. Um, like I have one client, for instance, and and she's very private, so she hasn't shared, you know, the news with people professionally, mm-hmm. and people would never be able to guess. But she is at least seeking all the help out that she needs, and she's working so hard at like doing it well. But I can understand, like, she's keeping that division there, but just because of like how it might be perceived yeah. or how she might be professionally regarded, and I totally get that.
0: Yeah that's yeah definitely understandable and i mean whether whether or not it's people of the same culture coming to you for that comfort or people just coming to you from any other place for the guidance it seems like you're definitely helping people through a difficult and sometimes painful process and i i really applaud you for doing that also like really respect and really admire your ability to balance your own happiness and your own health around dealing with helping other people with such a negative topic.
1: Thank you. Thank you. That's, uh, that's really powerful. And I really appreciate that. And, and I think, I think, Drea, that I holding, holding yourself forward as um, like um, a possibility for people that, okay, I went through Mm -hmm. it, and I can balance and I can be happy. So even for people to see that, to see it's possible because they have living proof right in front of them. Even that can be very motivating and just kind of settle people. And I, I want to be that person and and acknowledge sometimes when it's tough. Yeah. Like it's okay. Like to say, yeah, it was really tough. You want to be real about it. You don't just want be having a perma smile on your face. <laughs> yeah, for that, sure. You know, giving this impression that it's all you know wonderful. It's it can be difficult, and so I, it's good to it's good to be authentic with your clients. Yes, definitely.
0: So do you have any parting words of wisdom or advice for anyone listening? Great question.
1: Um, I think if there's something I would want to leave people with is, you know, when people think of happiness, they think, okay, you know, where's that magic wand that, you know, I'm going to be happy. And I think that, What I would love to share is that, you know, that happiness is not about having that, you know, grin 24 seven, it's really about acknowledging that, you know, obstacles and struggles and insecurities and fears are there. And it's, um, it's about how you deal with them, and having strategies and having intention around your life. And that is kind of, where happiness comes from it's not just like a state of being it's a way of being and that's what I'd want to leave listeners with